This is WGRE 91.5 FM, Greencastle, Indiana. Good evening and welcome to Music for Life, music from DePauw. In this episode, Anna talks to Stephen Linville and a pair of students about the upcoming concert by the Musical Theater Scenes class. Professor Ornstein Smith stops by to talk about the grand finale to the choirs and orchestras season, Beethoven's monumental Ninth Symphony. I chat with visiting composer Mark Applebaum, who just gave a fascinating concert with our percussion ensemble, and we catch up with ensemble in residence Fifth House and visiting ensemble Balladino in town for our final Green Guest Artist Series concert of the year. There are lots of exciting things going on in the DePaul School of Music, and we're glad you could join us for music for life. On Sunday, May 3rd at 3 p.m. in Kresge Auditorium, we bring our school year to a close with the monumental Beethoven 9. And here to chat with me about it is our orchestra conductor, Orsina Smith. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Big project, extraordinary, magnificent work indeed. I love that at the end of every year, we're able to put both the instrumentalist and the vocalist together, and no better work to do that on than Beethoven 9. You know, the idea across the four years that the students are here should be that we touch on different styles. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Brahms Requiem or Mozart Requiem or Vaughn Williams, or mm -hmm. in this case, uh, Beethoven 9, so, um, or Haydn or whatever mm -hmm. for large-scale forces gives the students an opportunity to work, uh, the vocal students to work in the instrumental environment and kind of learn the code of the nature of ensemble in that way, and, and the orchestra needs to be listening. Um, so there, there are some base kind of technical uh, aspects that are really important for the collaboration. And so the groups rehearse separately for mm -hmm. several weeks, mm -hmm. and then how many times do the orchestra members get to rehearse with the choir members? <clears throat> Three, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, next week and three times mm -hmm. and then boom right and then the soloists join for all three of those for just the last one how does that work the soloists have already worked with the orchestra we work their segments only we will add the soloists on Wednesday to the choral uh, forces then the Friday final rehearsal has everybody and then the performance and of course our soloists are professionals so they they may have already sung Beethoven 9 before and don't really need a lot of extra time. Right, and for the orchestra to adjust to the difference between the full chorus, the soloist, or just the orchestra itself, mm -hmm. that's, that's quite a bit of adapting, unusual for them because they're typically performing as an orchestra. Right, and playing a Beethoven symphony, is a, there's a certain code, um, and it's repetitive, mm -hmm. motives, uh, whatever, motives. Um, and then the last movement, all of a sudden, they have to change gear. They have to be accompanying. Mm. And so, of course, we do a lot of things. We accompany during the year for the opera and the concerto, and the concerto competition. So, right. so they have some of that knack, but the full orchestra um, gets to do it. And, and that's a little more difficult because you everybody has to be listening very discreetly. And for those who are unfamiliar with Beethoven 9, so he had written eight symphonies and a quite a long period of time passed before the ninth. And then you hear four movements without choir, four movements of an orchestral uh, texture, just as you would imagine. And then finally, Beethoven almost eggs himself on, not these tones, but ones more joyful. It's like, what, 
What can he come up with next? And then voices. Right. I, I think uh, the storyline that I like to keep related to how he evolved is that when he first read the Ode to Joy, maybe it was 1785, he was a, a student, and he got inspired about the utopian idea of universal brotherhood and, mm -hmm. um, you know, God behind the clouds will support us all if we're just uh, involved properly in universal brotherhood. Um, and um, he set that aside, not knowing how he was going to accomplish it. Um, so the, the first three movements, as we kind of consider them to be instrumental movements, then the, the, all of a sudden there's this chaos that starts at the beginning of uh, what some people consider to be the last movement. Um, and the low strings then evolve this kind of recitative, which subsequently uh, Beethoven then puts in the bass baritone singer. So he finally with words. Mm -hmm. So he finally figured out how to morph instrumental into vocal mm -hmm. by the end. And um, he actually wrote in his music, now I've figured it out at, uh, at, that, <laughs> right. at that point. Right. And of course, the most famous melody, perhaps of all classical music, the Ode to Joy, mm -hmm. burst forth. And, and I often think that it's we don't get the full impact of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony because we've had all the symphonies that followed it. But in its day, you know, for this Turkish march to appear in the middle and voices to appear and, and calling back mem uh, motives Another from movement. earlier movements, movements, no one had ever heard anything like that before. No. And um, the, the, the first performance in which he stood there but wasn't able to hear it right. as an, uh, another amazing story, being profoundly deaf at that point, um, kind of instructing the conductor what the tempos might be, um, but he wasn't even aware when the piece was over, right. um, and they had the soloist had to turn him around and say, you know, the audience is applauding. So uh, he imaged all of that sound from his inner ear, mm -hmm. um, and that's also an extraordinary feat, a Herculean feat that right. brings that energy to the piece. The ultimate triumph, and it's certainly uh, obvious when we get to that finale, and we're certainly looking to the finale there, uh, both the finale of the work and the finale of our year. Thank you for putting this great work on and for coming in to chat with us about it. Thank you very much. This is student producer Anna Gadula. Today I have with me senior piano performance major Rachel Robin. Hi, Rachel. Hi. And she is giving her senior recital very soon. When is your senior recital? It will be Saturday, May 2nd at 1 p.m. in Thompson Recital Hall. Awesome. What should we look forward to on your program? Um, there's going to be some Bach and Mozart. Mm, <laughs> yes, got to start with Bach, cover cover all the eras. So <laughs> Bach, Mozart, then some Romantic, Nocturnes. Um, okay. Uh, actually, they get more into 20th century. And then um, I'm finishing with Rondo Capriccioso by Mendelssohn. Ooh. What has been your favorite piece to prepare? Definitely the set of Nocturnes. They're all, there's three of them, and they're okay. all by American composers. There's Griffiths and Barber and Lieberman. So mm, I think it's, it's a unique addition to the program. Mm -hmm. What has been the most challenging piece for you to prepare? Um, it's probably the Bach only because of the memory. Um, <laughs> so pianists have to memorize all their music, like vocalists, right. as I'm sure you understand. <laughs> yeah. um, and so the Bach is just really tricky because there's so many patterns that are similar, right. um, but vary just, just a little bit, enough mm -hmm. to confuse me a lot. So, no. um, so that's been the challenge. So how do you manage trying to memorize a, a piece of that difficulty? There's a lot of different techniques. Uh, some of it's harmonic analysis, so um, you, you just have to know, like, 
what the cadence is, what mm-hmm. chord you're going to next. That oh, helps a little bit. Throwback to freshman year. Yes, yeah. <laughs> see, it is useful. Bringing they, it around. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so there's a little bit of that. There's um, sometimes you just want to have these um, checkpoints, I guess, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. where, you know, if I if I get off, I know that I can just jump to this measure and get back on really quickly. So mm, that's, um, that's kind of a sort of if something happens. Kind right. Of Preparing yeah. for the worst. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I'm sure you'll do you'll do really great. Yeah, thank you. So tell us again when your recital is. It's Saturday, May 2nd at 1 p.m. Great. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. From the Student Recital Hour of April 22nd, 2015, tenor Blake Beckemeyer and pianist John Claudefelter perform Ugo Wolf's Fußreise. This is student producer Anna Gadula. With me in the studio right now, I have Stephen Linville. Hi. And two students, Dallas Gray. Hello. And Dylan Prentice. Hello. We are here to talk about the upcoming musical theater scenes concert. So when is the concert? So the concert is um, Wednesday, April 29th at 8 p.m. Make sure you come at 8 p.m. because at 7.30 we won't be ready. (laughs) Um, In Thompson Recital Hall. Great. And... Dylan and Dallas, what have been your favorite parts about 
preparing for this concert? For me, it's I've been introduced to more recent musicals that I don't really know too much about, like mm -hmm. A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. I only saw the one scene that they performed at the Tonys, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And so, and to actually be able to play the, I guess, main character who mm -hmm. kills everybody, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's pretty fun, so. <laughs> I love, as Jell said, I love the, the different shows that were, all the different shows that we're getting to be a part of, mm -hmm. and with so many cast members, and the uh, incorporation of costume, and dance, and lighting, and all this production yeah. stuff that's really making it something big, and that's really exciting for us. Mm -hmm. Steven, why don't you tell us what shows are we can expect to see? So the theme of the concert is Freaks and Murder, um, and so in case you can't tell from the, the title of the show, it's really for mature audiences only because mm -hmm. of the content of the show. <laughs> um, we're doing scenes from Jekyll and Hyde, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, Chicago, Wonderland, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, and Sideshow. Mm -hmm. So there's some comedy in there. There's some darker things. There's a lot of dancing. So um, much dancing. So much dancing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would <and> know. The, <laughs> the choreography, um, a lot of it is by uh, an alum, Jared Norman, mm -hmm. who many people probably know from musicals and theater here. And um, so it's just it's just a nice combination of some things that are more classical style, some things mm -hmm. that are more what you would call, I guess, Broadway style sure. and showy. And then, of course, there are like, I don't know, a hundred different costumes, people <laughs> dressed up as rabbits and people dressed up as playing cards and corsets in Chicago and leggings and all kinds of things. So. <laughs> Did you find it challenging at all to pick shows for a class of 29 totally different singers? It is challenging because some people don't belt and some people love to belt and you have to find things that are right for the voice types, not only the ranges, but what people can and can't do mm -hmm. and what... Um, is appropriate for somebody who is a first-year student versus someone who is a senior sure. and then everyone in between. So I went into it with an idea of the theme mm -hmm. and then I had probably three hours worth of music, which would have <laughs> been too long for the concert, um, and then started cutting it down from there. And of course, at some point, I had to cut out things that I really wanted to do still, but right. um, it had to be something that was manageable in the amount of time that we have in class and mm -hmm. also for an audience to sit through. And so the concert will end up being about an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it goes by very fast. Right. Um, we ran the first half on Tuesday, and it went by in about 40 minutes and so it just it just it'll sort of flew fast. by it, it'll go fast it's all of it is very entertaining <laughs> a lot of different things happening with the lights and huge projections on Thompson that I've mm -hmm. never seen in there and um, sound playing back through the sound system to go along with the scenes and mm -hmm. all kinds of things so it's almost like an actual musical but happening in Thompson <laughs> and you get a taste of a lot of different things right I think that's a great thing about a scenes program is that you really get the highlights of all the shows, so it's you get the good stuff, and it just goes boom, 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 right. goes through all the highlights. Yeah. So Dylan and Dallas, what have been some of your favorite shows that you are not a part of, but you've been able to watch? Well, I, I'm a part of a couple scenes in some of the the uh, the different shows that we do, but I really enjoy watching the other, like the other Chicago scenes. Okay. Um, Cell Block Tango, and I love watching the other Wonderland scenes. Mm -hmm. I'm only in Welcome to Wonderland, but it's, to see the different 
one, the different types of music that are all in one show mm -hmm. um, is, is really amazing. And to see our, our fellow classmates that really do a great job acting and dancing and pulling off these different characters mm -hmm. um, while we get to watch and enjoy it, it's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's, a, it's a pleasure. I would probably have to say the Edwin Drood scenes are really, like the music is just so beautiful mm -hmm. and it's just, it's really, and so many words though, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's been a challenge actually through this process is a lot of the songs that I have are very wordy, sure. like the gentleman's guide scenes are, I mean, it's, you have <laughs> to have the words, otherwise you don't get the story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but I really like the, the Edwin Drood and the Jekyll and Hyde music is really beautiful. So. Awesome. And for people who don't know, um, the mystery of Edwin Drood is written by Rupert Holmes, um, who is the person who wrote the Pina Colada song. <laughs> so I did not fun know that. Fact. It does not sound like the Pina Colada song. Not but at that all. Is a fun fact. Not even close. <laughs> Great. So it looks like the audience has a lot to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, there next will season. be a lot going on. Um, I don't think anybody will ever be bored. Um, <laughs> you may be a little scared. There's, um, Good. you know, and one yes. thing that we did this year is the opening and closing number includes the entire class. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of people have up on stage and in the audience and Running there's around. a lot going on. <laughs> so be prepared. Awesome. And when is the concert again? Again, it is on Wednesday, April 29th at 8 p.m. in Thompson Recital Hall. It's free and open to the public. Mature audiences only. Don't bring your children. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we're excited for it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This is student producer Hannah Gothier. And with me today, I have some students to talk about the upcoming production of the original musical, Trouble with Accountants. I have the composer of the musical, Tyler Benoit. Hello. The director of the show, sophomore Billy Burke. Hello. And one of the members of the cast, Eileen Plunkett. Hi. All right, thanks guys for coming. Tyler, you wrote the show with a few of your friends from other schools. What compelled you to write a show about something so mundane as accounting. <laughs> well, it all started out as a joke at my best friend's 16th birthday party. Oh, and <laughs> it's a long the, time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And we were just kind of sitting around talking about what the worst musical could possibly be, what could be the most boring subject for a musical. And we came up with the idea of accountants. And then we eventually just started talking about it more and more. And then it turned into this plot. And yeah, now here we are. <laughs> That's awesome. So working with people who are at different locations, how did that work out? Was that difficult? Well, yeah, it, we've probably been, like I said, I mean, we've been talking about the idea for a long time. We've probably been developing it seriously for the past three years. Um, my best friend Bryce is the librettist uh, for the musical, and I've known him almost my entire adult life. And uh, you know, whenever we got together, we would just work on it. But it definitely, it definitely took a long time uh, to kind of get all the pieces together. That sounds awesome. So Billy, you are the director of yes. this show. What was it like to take something that had no prior existence? You really there was nothing to go off of, like a musical that's already been produced, and you have something to go off of. What was that like? Um, I think it was kind of freeing because, I mean, I've only ever done, um, I'm not the most experienced director, but I've only ever worked on uh, productions that have been uh, done before, like Arthur High School and uh, the shows that we've done here already. 
have been shows that you can go on YouTube and you can look at clips and you can see what other uh, schools have done or what other uh, like prof uh, professional productions have done. Uh, so this is kind of I got the script and I listened to some of the music and I was like, okay, well I can do whatever I want with this. I can conceptualize whatever I want. I can stage it however I want. Um, so that was freeing. It was really interesting. It was just something I had never done before. Between you and Tyler, how, how much uh, how much of your vision is going into this and how much of Tyler's vision? In the beginning, I, I probably had a lot more uh, crazy ideas because it was, this is my first time, well, second time directing uh a large-scale piece um, so I was like oh well, what can I do that's really really interesting that's kind of crazy and we had thought about staging it in different areas and as we went on with the production I think both of our concepts came together and now it's very much back and forth like oh can we do this or can we do this or what about this or what about this um, so I don't know they've kind of merged I wouldn't say that it's any more one or the other I think it's right now just kind of in a good place where both of us have uh, a little bit of say on both sides. Okay, that's that's great. Uh, Eileen, so kind of the same question as Billy, but you as an actress, how are you doing with creating this character out of basically nothing? Um, I think it's really an exciting opportunity as a student and as an actress to work on something that is so new and so original, and I feel like it's a great acting challenge and um, I'm having so much fun working with everybody and um, every rehearsal you know we're getting better and better and you know developing these deep characters and uh, I just think it's such an exciting opportunity and I'm really happy to be a part of it. It sounds like it's been a really great process. Eileen can you tell us when the show is and other details that we need to know? The performance will be at Kerr Theater. Um, it'll be on April 30th, and it'll be um, also on May 1st, both at 8 o'clock, and we are just so excited to uh, put it on. Awesome. And uh, how about tickets? Tickets are $3. Which a portion of is going towards the DePaul Student Theater Scholarship Fund. So come out and support your fellow actors. Yes, do a good thing, <laughs> support a good cause. All right, uh, thank you, Billy, Eileen, and Tyler for coming in to speak with me today. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Yeah, yeah. and uh, hope to see you at the show. From the Student Recital Hour of April 22nd, 2015, pianist Alexander Bushkin performs the Andante Cantabile in B minor from Sergei Rachmaninoff's Moments Musico, Opus 16.
This is student producer Anna Gadula. Today with me in the studio, I have juniors Yazid Pierce-Gray. Hello. And Julie Strasser. Hello. And they're here to talk about their upcoming junior recital. When is your recital, guys? It is May 2nd at 5 p.m. in Thompson Recital Hall. Great. And what are you guys most excited to perform? I'm most excited to perform um, the duets that we are doing. We're doing two, um, one Rossini and one contemporary musical theater duet to end the show. So I think they'll be very fun. Great. I I feel the same way as well. Um, I think one of my um, favorite sets that I'm singing by myself is my English set. Mm -hmm. I'm doing three dream portraits by Margaret Bonds, which is... Mm. Uh, she's a 20th century composer and she wrote some amazing music and mm-hmm. it's very Langston Hughes poetry. Oh, great. It was set during the Holland Renaissance and things mm-hmm. like that. So very powerful stuff. Oh, good. Good. Julie, what are you most excited to sing on your own? Probably actually a Mozart aria de Vienni non tardar. Oh, um, great. It's just a very From simple. La Nota di Figaro. Yeah, it's a simple aria. But it has its challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, It's just, it's very cute, and I don't typically do more sustained arias. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of the coloratura arias, so this is a nice change, and I really enjoyed singing the piece. Great, great. What was the most difficult part in preparing for this recital for you guys? Timing and (laughs) just practicing. Well, second semester is usually jam-packed with a lot, so Mm -hmm. doing all schoolwork and planning a recital at the same time is a big feat <laughs> so mm-hmm. precursor to what next year will be like when we give our own <laughs> recitals right. but um, I've learned a lot from doing it though so Great. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Julie? Yeah I think uh, the time that we had especially for memorization was mm-hmm. a very quick turnaround from the last performance that we had and until our jury um, so I know I was struggling to memorize everything in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I saw you in class and you would be whispering to yourself in different languages. Yep. <laughs> but you, you got to practice where you can, right? Exactly. <laughs> Great. So tell us again when your recital is. It is Saturday, May 2nd at 5 p.m. Great. See you guys there. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Maya Beiser, and you're listening to Music for Life. We are thrilled to have on campus this week the incredible Mark Applebaum, and he's taken time out of his schedule to come in and chat with me. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Great to be here. Good to have you here. And we've certainly got you doing a little bit of everything, performing, teaching, appearing in classes. How's it going? It's going well. I've been doing a little bit of the uh, re-roofing, the roof work. Oh, yeah? yeah? How's that coming? Got that done yet? It's going well. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Wait till you see the parking lot paving we have yet to do. It's almost. I'll be joining you at five. Okay, very good. I look forward to that. (laughs) I want to start this with the way that I finally put a name with a face, uh, mm. which was when your TED Talk came out. Mm-hmm. Man, that has a lot of followers. You must have gotten an amazing It's response. all my mother. It's you and my, <laughs> and my mom clicks a lot. Yeah, is that what I'm just there <laughs> and keeps clicking? Just clicking a million yeah. times, yeah. You know, that's really fascinating. And it, I think it breaks down an awful lot of uh, barriers for people who have a, a difficulty understanding just what music is. Mm. Thank you. That's generous of you and maybe optimistic, but um, either that or it's like, check out this freak show. This is this really <laughs> weird yeah, thing. Yeah, the title of it helps there too, right? Yeah, which by the way was not my title. No, I didn't know, think so. 
but they know how to sell something there. Yeah, indeed. And and I had, and and really, I had no idea that that particular program was going to um, go viral. Yeah, I mean, I really, I, I did it for a, a modest sized live audience, mm-hmm. and that was that. And I was aware that there was, you know, there were like television cameras there recording, and I just thought it was kind of for some sort of archive thing. And then, you know, I mean, Ted has a, as a media kind of juggernaut has mm-hmm. like a lot of muscle. And so they made it available and people seem to have some interest. So much so that, in fact, I have to say, and this is just in the section of your interview called Let the Interviewee Do Some Sort of Really Immodest Self-Congratulatory <laughs> oh, Rant. Course. But, you know, if um, so immodestly, I can, I can mention that I've been in places like crossing Trafalgar Square in London and been stopped with people really? in, in Amsterdam and Argentinian on a bicycle stop <laughs> went by me and this stuff. So it's kind of a strange thing to actually. And, and I guess my point is going back to my impression while I was giving that talk. I just thought it was a, a, a routine sort of thing. And um, and with some pride and definitely some embarrassment it's sort of taken off and has become like uh, given me a lot of visibility. And I saw some embarrassment because it's like it's really not my best thing or mes- necessarily the most representative thing. It's somewhere in the I'm not I don't hate it, you know, it's mm-hmm. but it's not really the greatest sort of presentation. In any case, I'm delighted that it got to you and that it was meaningful for you. That's, sure that's really great. And I think one of the things I've always been impressed about you is your, you know, you really have these big ears. I mean, anything is possible with you. You're you're very open about letting the environment influence what you what you think and what you do and then what you can present to the audience and really in sometimes incredibly profound ways and sometimes in really fun ways that are just really exciting Mm -hmm. i think that you know the former thank you for that that's very that's very generous the former quality is as i mentioned in that talk the consequence of boredom and dissatisfaction it's just sort of feeling like a lot of the stuff that I know is, uh, I don't know, it's just, um, it's not giving me a buzz in a sense. So I really am looking, I'm, I'm in this kind of exploratory mode and, um, and try, I, I do my best to, to, to try to, to do that exploration in a context in which I don't throw out anything mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in, or, or everything is considered before it's thrown out. And the, the, qualities the fun qualities are actually deliberate too i'm really interested in this sort of like ludic playful thing i mean Mm -hmm. as kids you know we we you know we we say like oh i play the violin i play the flute i play the drums whatever it's not very playful well it it it, as we become (laughs) adults it becomes that you're you're absolutely right it gets transformed to i perform on the flute i perform on the clarinet and i'm interested in like rehabilitating that sense of play you know Mm -hmm. as um points out in his book, Homo Ludens, we are homo sapien man, the thinker, we're homo fabin man, the maker, and we, but we're also homo ludens man, the player, the, mm-hmm. you know, we, and so anyway, the point is children don't have any problem with that whatsoever. And I think that's a stage that's actually worth returning to. So if things seem f- fun or even funny in my music, that's absolutely welcome. It's not the, you know, there's gravity in some right. of my pursuits, right. but there's also, you know, sort of levity and this, hopefully this playful quality. Right, that keeps it interesting at all times. And I, you know, it's funny, I, th- I thought if I took your TED talk and pushed it into a word cloud, the word that would be the biggest would be boredom. Because you're out to, you're, it's a one-man argument against boredom. You are, con- you know, you'll say, okay, here's a little of this, but I want to be challenged. And, and you're constantly challenging your audience because you're challenging yourself. That's true. And for me, the challenge has, 
has also pushed me into all these different roles. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of weird. I'm a composer, but I'm like a reluctant composer. You know, I'm really a product of a, of, of a, in college, say, of a broad liberal arts education mm -hmm. that was um, where I did a lot of music, but really I didn't think of that as my focus. I really, and so today I'm still reluctant to, to I mean, this might sound disrespectful to the entire discipline of music, but to just do music. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not interested in only just doing music or express, express a different way. I allow music to annex all areas of, you know, human creative thought. So that has pushed me into the realm as a, comp as a choreographer sometime or a dramaturge or as an um, instrument inventor and so forth. And those roles um, sort of rejuvenate and reanimate my connection to creative thought. And keep your audience doing the same. Hopefully so, for those, I mean, look, I mean, my audience is, a is, it's not really a mainstream, the, 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 the kind of weird irony is that I, I make music that dedicated audiences who have a vast contingent body of knowledge. Um, in other words, like the kind of expert audience, they can get into it and there's things for them to chew on, but it should also be music that is really self-evident mm -hmm. to the novice listener, to the child in us and so forth. Yeah, so that's something that's, I think, uh, I, I've just lost my train of thought. I was going somewhere <laughs> with that. What did I do? <laughs> anyway, ellipses. Yes, yeah, ellipses, <laughs> dot, 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 dot. You know, it's, this has been a fascinating trip for us to have you here, and I know that uh, you've sparked a lot of conversations already that I've had with some students and faculty, and uh, we've been thrilled to have you here. Now, there's not very many people that I'm brave enough to ask this question, but I know I can ask you this question. So, you know, you are this, this polymath, and you are this person that's widely excited by so many different things. So what's it say on your tombstone? I like the, um, yeah, I like a quote by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I would, I would love that to be my epitaph. Uh, let me see if I can get this right. Critics kind, never mind. Critics flatter, doesn't matter. Critics blame, all the same. Do your best, damn the rest. <laughs> That's perfect. Thanks for coming in to chat with us. My pleasure. From the Student Recital Hour of April 22nd, 2015, pianist Emily Chen performs the Etude No. 2 in E-flat major, the octave, from the Grande Etudes de Paganini S141 by Franz Liszt.
Last night, we had our final green concert of the year with our artist-in-residence Fifth House and guest, Balladino. This interview was recorded a few days before that performance. We're thrilled to welcome back Melissa Snoza and Eric Snoza from Fifth House. Welcome. Thank you for having us. And they have brought a great group to perform with them, Balladino. And here to join us for that are Tomas and Yael. Welcome. It's great to have you both Thank here. Thank you. Thank you. So as I understand it, there's a rather interesting backstory to how you guys got together. <laughs> uh, actually, I knew their, uh, their bass player in the group, and we had met, uh, of all things, over Facebook uh, because I had seen him play, and he has this very unique style of bass playing, which is uh, it's a mix of jazz, Mediterranean, and then percussive, uh, all on the bass. And we got to talking, and I said, uh, hey, whenever you get to the States sometime, uh, I'd love, love to meet you and collaborate with you. And a couple months later, he's like, well, yeah, I've got this band, and we're going to be coming through Chicago. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll come see your band, and then, then we can hang out. And then I sat down, and from note one that these guys had, I was like, nope. I got to work with the whole group here because these guys <laughs> are absolutely phenomenal. So right after the show, I went up to them and said, hey, we'd love to work with you guys sometimes. And uh, two years later, here we wow. are. Wow. Yeah. So this has been difficult, though, because you were kind of separated by a pond and some <laughs> A rather some large lines. pond. Yes, a rather <laughs> large pond and some air travel. So how have you done it? How has this happened from that distance? Skype. I, I think it's also uh, the fifth house. They are really amazing the way they work because um, I remember Eric, this guy coming us to us after the show and say we we, we are going going to collaborate. And you know, and you have many many times people say these things after a concert. They say, well, we must do something, and, and you are like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. There was this guy in Chicago said something, but with them it was like two days later we got an email. With all the information, we're going to do this type of collaboration. Melissa already wrote, I think, the grant application after two days. <laughs> and it was really amazing because it really happened. And then I was telling everybody, you remember this guy from Chicago? It's, it's, it's actually going to happen. And they were like, what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> and Tomas, was it successful? I mean, over Skype and all that? Is that challenging in some ways? Yeah, I mean, also, also Baladino, this is the way we work because uh, both me and Yael, we live in Berlin. And the rest of the band is in Israel, so uh, we have to do some Skype work. And I think actually it's it's quite good not to live in a, in the same city because when you are so separated, then then you have to do lots of work online. And when when we finally meet, we are so eager to to work together. Then it's it's really happening. You know, you have you don't have much time, and you have to work really quick, but you have to prepare really good. And so Yael, how did Baladino get together? Well, uh, in Tel Aviv. You know, it's a small city and a small country, so many musicians uh, work in many productions. And, I mean, for a living, for a survive. So we got to know each other from other productions. Me and Tomer worked together in my last band, and Tomer and Yoni worked together in another production, and they wanted for a long time to do something with all their instruments. And when... I brought the Ladino. We finally found a great field to make music mm. uh, in because the Ladino has so many influences, right. so many instruments and musical influences from all over the world, and it was a great place to start. Yeah. I remember a quote from one of the members of Aladino that said, we're trying to create a great meal where everyone will recognize their own culture. Mm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> definitely, with all... 
with all the spices, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, but in Israel, you know, so many um, musical influences and so much kinds of different food. Right. <laughs> also. So tell us about this work, Melissa, that we will bring to the stage. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that what you just said about the idea of creating a great meal it's kind of the inspiration for this whole thing. You know, we had some of our earliest conversations together over the phone, and often I don't know what a collaboration is going to be until we start having those conversations. And we had that experience very clearly last year when we did Harvest, not really knowing right. what that would be until right. we got further down the road. And I remember hearing that and hearing that the whole point of this was so that no matter what part of the world you're from, there's something that you can hear in your childhood. And that made mm -hmm. me think about what we do with Fifth House, that it's all about helping people to reconnect to why they love music in the first place. And so we started to ask each other and to ask a lot of our cultural partners who are organizations across Chicago about their earliest musical memories. And these were organizations that represented Spain, Israel, Iran, and India. And we started to hear these melodies. So some of them came straight out of Balladino's repertoire. Some mm -hmm. of them came from our repertoire uh, representing American composers who engage with American folk. And then some were pieces that we created together as a result of listening to some of these memories, as a result of getting to know each other and understanding what we each do. And it was a really exciting process of being able to put all of these things together. And I can say that what they do is actually very successful. I mean, my parents are from Cambodia and Brazil, and both of them were rocking out to this music in the car when I was playing it. So that's kind of a great testament. It works. And you guys have been on tour now for a while. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And how has the tour gone, Tomas? It was great. I mean, I mean, in the last in in the first two weeks, we, we've been in Chicago most of the time because that's actually the first time we got to rehearse together. And for us, it was very, very nice because, I mean, we've been touring a lot in the States, but every time we've been in Chicago, it's, it was usually for two days, one day. You know, you always, we always fly in from Chicago to the Midwest, go back, and, and, and you don't really get to see the city. And, and we always thought, okay, it would be really nice to hang out here for a while. And now we had the time to all live in the same flat and play music every day and cook together some uh, nice Mediterranean food. <laughs> There's a food theme going on here. It's mm -hmm. making me hungry. <laughs> and and yeah. we're actually having a picnic this afternoon as, yeah. as part of that. So this is going to be like a jam session, as I understand. Yeah, we'll play some uh, pieces that the, they'll hear on the concert, um, as well as just kind of leaving it open so that they can explore all the wonderful instruments that they brought. Because some of these instruments, though they may be you know a thousand years old in origin, most people here in the states have never seen them. They may have right. heard them in the movies, right. but they they never knew where they come from or what they look like. So we're going to get to get to show those off and kind of like a, a little instrument jam session. You're here as part of the 21st Century Musician Initiative, which believes we need to do a lot of things. We need to expose our students to successful 21st century musicians. We need to broaden their horizons away from simply the Eurocentric music, uh, you know, as I often deadpan as dead white Germans, but it's, it, you know, I think a lot of people think of classical music as dead white German music and, and, and we're trying to, to push that out and expand those boundaries. And you're here as part of that. But what advice would you give to our young musicians who are trying to be these successful 21st century musicians? Is there advice you would want to offer them, Jan? Wow. Uh, first of all, it's always practice a lot mm -hmm. with on your instruments or if you sing, sing a lot, learn many kind of, of, um, 
uh, genres, mm -hmm. I think. And then find yourself inside of them. I mean, I like to get influences from many kind of genres and bring my Israeli uh, <laughs> mixed blood into this music and not to take it too seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, you, you deal with traditional music, but imagine the people that lived at that time, they enjoyed life, they, they enjoyed the music, they didn't take it too seriously. Some, sometimes people take it. We take it way too seriously. In fact, I've, I've really been into Ural's music, getting ready for this thing, listening to a lot of the things that you do. And, and another uh, group I've been listening to just the past couple of weeks, La Pagiata is their name and they do all kinds of early music but they don't take it seriously they they yeah. do they so they're doing Purcell with jazz you know they're, they're realizing the figured bass as, a, as jazz musicians and they performed last week at Carnegie Hall and people walked out and yelled booed screamed at them you know now a lot of people were there cheering them on let's mm -hmm. be fair but there were a few people who oh my gosh this is not Purcell we, we must dust him back up and put him back on the shelf and mm -hmm. you know and it's that's crazy we can't take this so seriously we have to bring this music to life and the energy and life that you guys bring to your music is so fantastic there's no one that can't just be there are no passive listeners in your concerts <laughs> there can't be if they are they they expired because right. there's it's just it's too too real, too exciting, too happening right now, and that's really powerful. Yeah, I, I think that's that's also why we enjoy so much to tour in the states and actually in Europe, uh, even more than than playing in Israel, at least for me, because um, we we grew up with also with Western influence. I mean, mm -hmm. me and Yoni, both of us study classical music and been listening to pop music. So, so it's like for us to go to this traditional music, it was around us and we were lucky enough to find the right people to play with and learn this music. Um, but this is not like our aesthetic, the way that we see music. So we take this, mu this uh, oriental music and we bring it to a, a aesthetic place that is much more uh, um, communicative for uh, Western listeners. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's true because when, when you play to traditional audience, they sometimes tend to be very stuck in, the, in their laws or how it's supposed to right. sound. But it's, I mean, we have so many people in the world, so many musicians, and each one is an individual. We all grew up in different houses, different music, different influence. And I think it's the most important in, the, in our times to, to be unique and, and to find your uniqueness mm -hmm. and... Just, I don't know, broaden your horizon, how you say it. Yeah. Right, and that's what you guys are doing for us. You're doing a great job of broadening our horizons in your work with our students and performing for the public school kids and this picnic, and we can't wait for the concert. And we're so thankful that you've come and, and stretched us in this way. It's good to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. From their performance of April 20th, 2015, the DePaul Chamber Singers perform excerpts from Hildegard of Bingen's Ursula Antiphons.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Music for Life. We love hearing from listeners. You can contact us by emailing musicforlife at depaw.edu. We're also on Facebook at DePaw Music for Life, and you can subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching there for DePaw Music for Life. Our student producers are Anna Gadula, Matt Skiva, Burke Stanton, Rachel Amalfitano, Hannah Gauthier, and Caleb Denning. Our 21CM graduate intern is Elika Okerstrom. Veronica Pedrel is our online editor, and our show is produced by Matthew Champagne in the Judson and Joyce Green Center for the Performing Arts at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. I'm Mark McCoy, Dean of the School of Music. Thank you for listening to our show. Keep music in your life, and have a great week. It's music for life.